This show is sponsored in part by the Mid-Ohio Con, October 4th and 5th, 2008, at the Greater Columbus Convention Center in Columbus, Ohio. For more information, visit midohiocon.com. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and, of course, spoilers. And we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. This time around, the right hand of doom. Monkeys in spandex. We Huey in theaters. Who brought up Chuck? Theme songs, <laughs> theme songs, theme songs. Somebody's getting a statue. Steven's got a hero in his front pocket for you. And Tara's big brother steps up to the plate in a pretty big way as Steven's finally happy that something's older than him. Yay. It's our 38 special. So hold on loosely. You're back where you belong. We're all caught up in you. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Hey, everybody. Now, listen, I did not plan this, but tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, my 38th birthday, 38th show. Uh-huh. Hey, no, speaking. Wait, if no, they're listening to this tomorrow in the future, doesn't that mean that this is actually the past? Well, by the time we record it, but by the time they hear it, it'll actually be my birthday. So it'll be the future of the past. Yes. Hello, future people. Hello, future people. Hey, speaking of future things, somebody decided to bring that Chuck show back on for a full season over at NBC. Do you guys watch Chuck? I, I watch the girl from Chuck. <laughs> I think that's what most people are watching on Chuck. What's her name? Veronica Stravorsky-ski or something like that? <laughs> I think it's actually pronounced Mary Jones, and they're all silent. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you guys like Chuck? I like the TV series. I like the premise behind the TV series. Uh, there were too few episodes last season because of the writer's strike. So I'm kind of looking forward to Chuck. I really miss Journeyman. If they really wanted to bring a show back, that's the one they should have brought back. But I can yeah. stand Chuck on television. I just can't stand it in the comic book. Yeah, that See, I, comic book was pretty rough. Yeah. I saw the first episode of Chuck, and I it was one of those vaguely interesting things that didn't really grab me by the nards and say, watch me now. You know, it was it was it was good. It just it it felt to me, and it may just be that I saw you know a chunk of it. I, it felt like Ed. Yeah, it's it's probably like that. You know, just kind of a, a not so much a been it's, here, done that. More of a I'm not sure where we're going, and there's nothing that's telling me I need to go there right now. It's one of those shows that fills the time between the end of uh, Two and a Half Men and Heroes. Mm-hmm. You watch Two and a Half Men. Well, on the on the syndicated thing, uh, Charlie Sheen is so funny. Yeah, you know he's no Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> oh, hey, you know they're going to be bringing back another uh, uh, Doctor Horrible sing along blog sometime in the near future, but this time not focusing on Doctor Horrible, instead focusing on Moist, his sidekick nice. Moist, which just so <laughs> happens to be the guy from uh, uh, that other show, The Big Bang Theory. Which has yeah. in itself a lot of comic book references. And silence. Okay, moving along. Hey, Matthew, you ought to hey. be you ought to be excited about this. Oh, your, I'm stoked, your, man. Your favorite comic book of all time, The Boys, the is, boys. Headed, is headed for theaters. Gonna be boys on film. Now I just wanna know, did they get Simon <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. 
Do they get Simon Pegg for Wee Huey, or have they it, made any No, castings? they haven't made any casting announcements. They've just uh, selected writers at this point and uh, say that they're going to adapt it for the big screen. I just, my only thing, if they're going to do it, and I think it could be interesting, but they have to do it with either a hard R or NC-17 or the single X rating in it. Mm. That's the only way it would make sense. That's the only way that it would shift the ire of so many people out there. That's the only way I think it would, would work. They're probably going to have to neuter portions of the concept to well, do I it. Well, I know. That's the bad thing. I'd rather see, just like I was really disappointed in Wanted, I'd rather yeah. see a faithful adaptation of Wanted than what came out in the theater, just like I'd rather see a faithful adaptation of the first arc of The Boys instead of something that's going to be a half-assed concept. Well, yeah, if they if they get the the same situation as wanted, like the the premise is like there are superheroes in the world and they are all okay people. We are also superheroes, but we wear trench coats. Yay! Yeah, and that's the problem. The superheroes have to be bastards for the boys to work, and I don't think that any of the the major you know theater companies <laughs> any of the major production houses are really willing to go to the depths necessary they're not going to give us for instance tech knight or whatever his name was tech knight having that problem where he suddenly needs to nail everything well why not because there's no way you can make that into a, a in in the mindset of the producer there's no way you can make that into a widescreen exciting movie that makes people want to buy toys hey if we can see sharon stone crossing her legs in widescreen and that gets an NC-17 rating and does gangbusters at the box office. Do you remember, have you read the second arc of The Boys? I don't, I, I have not. I'm there waiting for a, the next, next big boys coverage that we do on the show to do that. There is an upshot at the end of the second arc of The Boys that is one of the single most tasteless jokes I, I have ever witnessed in a, in a comic book. And it's just... Awful. I loved it, but if you tried to make that joke, the you know the upshot of a of a two hour movie, you're going to have people just absolutely at your throat, slavering for your blood, ready it, to kill you. Is it any different than uh, Nathan? What's his name? Fillion, Frillion from uh, Doctor Horrible. Going, uh, they call me the Hammer. The Hammer's my penis. Is it? Is it? Is it? It's. It's much worse than that. Actually. <laughs> okay, all right. Since well, we are made people, spoilers, if, I, I can spoiler it. Yeah, for sure. You. Go ahead. The whole point of the whole the, this that second arc with Tech Knight is that he, for some reason, he thinks a villain has hit him with a whammy that makes him want to fuck or excuse me, want to boink anything in in sight. Yeah. And at, at one point, it's a cup of coffee. At one point, it's his Batmobile or his equivalent of the Batmobile. And throughout the whole arc. We have this whole thing, and we finally find out, you know, what seems to have caused this. And there's a murder mystery off to the side that comes up. But the last page of the last issue of this arc is we, Huey, and the Butcher sitting at the table. And they're like, hey, did you hear about Tech Knight? Yeah, he had a brain tumor the size of your fist. That's the joke. Okay. That's why he had these irrational urges that we spent six <laughs> You know, six months reading about and going through this whole involved story. Turns out, uh, oh, yeah, he had a brain tumor. <laughs> that is some seriously sick, dark humor. I loved it, but I'm a Rodrigo, person. would you rather see a toned-down movie, or would you rather see an R or hard NC-17 The Boys? 
Duh, boys. I don't know. I don't know, because to, to see a faithful adaptation of The Boys, I mean, that means that I would have to be in a movie theater watching essentially a, the, the you know, John Candy from Spaceballs uh, <laughs> filleting this, this other guy while he smokes a crack pipe. Like, do I really want to sit in the theater and watch that? I mean, that would be faithful to the book. I just wish that I could see one faithful adaptation of any movie. I don't think we're going to get it. I think probably that not even in Watchmen if Fox has their way. I I don't think we will, and the reason is people look at comics a certain way, and they think that comics have to have what the the general public sees as a comic book ending. And, Superhero wins. Uh, right. The hero gets the girl. The bad guy curse you, Superman. Exactly. You know, and when you look at it from the perspective of comic books and comic book readers are maybe 75,000 people in a good month. Those people are beyond a comic book ending and want to see something that may not be a standard comic book ending. But I feel like the money men in Hollywood and to some degree the people who go to see movies like Iron Man or Hulk want to have that comic book happy ending because to them that's what a comic book is. Yeah, true. True, so true, if true. every single fan of Wanted, everybody who loved the book, goes to the movies that first night and nobody else goes, it's going to be the worst opening in the history of the universe. True, true, true that. True that. 100,000 people. So I think there, my friend Deidre, when I was telling her what Iron Man was about, you know, was we were trying to explain it. She's like, so when does he do anything heroic? Because she felt like Tony Stark building an armor that would keep his own heart running was a selfish maneuver. <laughs> and anything he did after that would have to be doubly awesome. True. Because, you know, she's not familiar with the character and she doesn't see what, you know, we might bring to it as far as our preconceptions. So You can find out more about all of these stories up on the Major Spoilers website. Visit the site. It's Majorspoilers.com. What was that? Majorspoilers.com. Dot com. Yeah, please don't sue us. Uh, anybody. Yahoo. <laughs> please uh, don't sue us anybody. That's We so, love comics, and please don't sue us. <laughs> so I'm wondering if we should put Julian through torture until the end of the show, or if we should do this big uh, contest thingy that we've been doing for the last two months. I don't know. I say we just leave it for the end. Oh, okay. Okay. Speaking of contests, though, yes. how, about that theme, how about that theme song? I have not received any new entries. Mm. So I tell have it, one. Well, please don't let it be uh, Sanford and Son again. No, it's not going to be Sanford and Son. That okay. would be... I don't go over the same turf. Okay. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Don't let it be Gilligan's Island, either. Sometimes you want to go where everybody <laughs> spoilers majorly. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, I don't think that one's going to work anyway. Hey, Rodrigo, tell tell us about this contest. How can people enter this this contest, and what's the big prize? Well, um, the winner is going to get the absolute edition of uh, Watchmen when it comes out. That's, that's an that's awesome like, prize. That's going to be like, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty intense. Um, and all you have to do is uh, write up a song, record it, and send it to us, and, you know, We'll uh, listen to it, and if we can jam to it, uh, you're, uh, you've got a good, good thing going there. Yeah, I think the entries, the contest's open until at least Thanksgiving when we'll decide. Uh, we've got a couple of good entries right now, but I would like to receive a whole lot more. I mean, come on. This is uh, money well spent. 
this Watchmen Absolute Edition that you can get. Just drop us uh, your entry to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, put in the subject line, Major Spoilers theme song! And, and please uh, type it in a false uh, falsetto there, uh, please, as well. That, that, I believe, is a bold, italic, Times Roman 12-point <laughs> font, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> hey, let's talk about some reviews this week. I know we've got a few. I've got about a dozen here. I got like 10 of them left from last week. All right. Rodrigo, kick us off with uh, what's coming out this week from Marvel. All right. Well, this this has been there's been a lot of anticipation about this event. Um after the huge success really? of Marvel Zombies, Marvel is getting ready to kick off its next big kind of alternate dimension series, Marvel Apes. I cannot believe that this is actually going to be a series. <laughs> Just a planet where apes evolved from men? Get your it's hands off me, house. you damn dirty dark octopus ape. A madhouse! Yeah, All right, so here's the basic premise of the thing. Um, the, given, well, the thing is a big there's rock a guy. premise? <laughs> Imagine that. It's, I'm, I'm a, this series is going to be interesting. If nothing else, because it, it's walking a very fine line between unreadable and totally ridiculous. <laughs> but is totally ridiculous like that's Good totally ridiculous? rad? I mean, are you, you know, what's well, the context? The, 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 I'm I'm curious to figure out where they're going to take it. Here's here's the premise: the the Gibbon, who's a Marvel hero who has the proportional strength of a Gibbon. I believe he's actually um, a Spider-Man villain, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was for a while, and apparently he reformed, and um, he's basically played off as this very, very kind of D-list superhero. Um, essentially, he gets in contact with this uh, scientist lady, and they're trying to figure out uh, what, his, what his deal is. You know, she he's a monkey. He's a mutant. He is, in fact, a monkey. <laughs> so they basically break into one of Reed Richards' labs, because that always goes well. Yes. And essentially start messing with this uh, dimensional machine because he has like a weird dimensional aura around him uh-huh. that uh, apparently no one's ever seen before. So, of course, the machine goes haywire, it zaps the Gibbon, and they both get transported to Monk Hatton. Uh, so, you know, to make a long story short, oh, you please make it short. <laughs> You basically need probably at least a dozen Marvel superheroes in ape form, and the names start about as good as Iron Mandrill and just dive bomb from there. Spider Monkey, Doc Ook, Spider Monkey, Simeon Torch, the interesting one. There's one interesting one, which is that um, Hank Pime or Pym or whatever. His his name is Grorilla. Oh, which, seriously! Which this I, is this is actually a comic. It doesn't have anything to do with any of his other aliases. So there you go, one more alias for uh, Hank Pym. So let's go back to the whole part where there was a premise. <laughs> right. I'm still waiting here's, for one. Here's what I think they're doing. Yeah, they're starting it out all goofy, like you know, basically. Um, you know, it, it ends up with uh, Spider-Man and the Gibbon fighting Doc Ook. 
Um, That's great stuff. Yeah, and but at the end of that uh, issue, there are two kind of creepy revelations, and I think what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, take something that started out as a really humorous thing or that they mean to start out as a really humorous thing and essentially darken it by several shades every issue. So that at least is an interesting way of doing things, but I don't hold out much hope for this series. I don't know. Everyone says that monkeys in comics, apes in comics, if you put an ape on the cover of a comic, for whatever reason, it just sells really well. And I think that's kind of what Marvel went in, whoops, I think that's what Marvel went into uh, with this series. They just said, "Let's do a whole issue of nothing but monkeys." Interesting. Yeah, what, I don't know. What are you going to give this one, Rodrigo? Um, I'll give this one uh, the art's good. I think I'll but I'll give it two stars. I mean, you know, at most cuz it's shaky and it definitely didn't wow me like if i had been knocked on my ass laughing or if i'd been like holy crap what you know these these monkeys are really fierce kind of thing then i would be a little bit more impressed but you know i'm gonna give it two stars right now all right two stars for marvel apes in stores this week from marvel comics now going back a week Let's get a DC entry. No, wait. Should we draw for this contest? No, no, we're not. No, we're gonna wait till the end the of the contest. show. I'm gonna wait for the end of the and show. You know what? Let's do it next week. Yeah. Okay. We'll draw for <laughs> this next week. Uh, Julian's just you know cringing on the floor, crying right about no! now. No. No. Don't so, worry. It's uh, coming later in the show. Yeah, uh, later in the show. So what do you got for us, Matthew? I bought me some comics this week. You did. And some of them made sense, and some of them didn't make sense and 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 some of them i was just you know kind of looking at and going hey that sure does look like a comic book and i happened to grab one off the wall because well i didn't know what it was and i picked it up and i read it dc universe last will and testament issue one appears to be a one shot what with the logo on the front saying one shot (laughs) well that's a pretty good clue right there that was my first clue and i'm 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 calling this final crisis what the hell is going on? The issue starts with Geoforce of the Outsiders, who was also in the Justice League for about 12 seconds, Which I believe. It doesn't make sense. They invited him, and then he just disappears. He Bat- didn't disappear. They actually traded him to the Outsiders yeah. in an issue of Batman and the Outsiders. Yeah. But it's they, okay they because... a better draft pick? That's what it was. <laughs> and Plastic for an Man is a better able- draft pick? Come on, the league has like 74 <laughs> members right now. It's not like they can't give up one guy who dresses like Tara. But the beginning of the issue is really interesting, and it's really riveting for a few seconds because, I shouldn't say for a few seconds, Geoforce has this really dark moment at the beginning where he's you know doing the G. Gordon Liddy and sticking his hand in a flame to prove that he's invulnerable. Right. And he has this remark where he says, In my native language, my hero name translates as Superman. I let the Americans call me Geoforce. In my obituary, I will correct the error. And then he explains that he already wrote his obituary because this is the last day of his life. And we see, I think this has to be a final crisis tie-in of some some bit, but everything is shut down. There's no light. There's no power. The sun is missing. I guess it doesn't make any sense because... Uh, that's not how it's played out in the Final Crisis book, but, you know, again, Grant Morrison's doing whatever Grant Morrison does, and they say there's no sun, yet you see all these little cityscapes, and certainly one of them has a twilight, like sun is about to rise or something in London or wherever it is. 
That's weird. I don't know. It's just, this it's seems strange. to take place in the future of the DCU in terms of Final Crisis time. Ah, okay. Because there's no, well, there's no real tie-in that I can find, and it turns out to be kind of a story of the DC universe on the last day of their lives. We see Wonder Woman and Donna Troy doing an ancient Greek ritual of burying coins uh, to, you know, signify, I don't know, something. Um, and Black Lightning trying to talk Geoforce out of this psychotic plan that he has. And there's a really cute sequence where, you know, Starfire is crying, waiting for Nightwing, where he ex- she expects Nightwing to show up right. next to the grave of his parents. And we cut to Nightwing. Nightwing is with his father. In Gotham City, he shows up, Batman and Robin are about to jump into danger, he just shows up and the three of them leap off of a building together, and we see how Dick Grayson wants to spend his last year, you know, his last seconds on Earth. Yeah, just doing with, what, they, what they do. Yeah, with his, with, and I, I will say it, I'm sorry, with his father. You know, Batman yeah. is this, this man's father. But the really fascinating thing from my perspective in the whole book is Rocky Davis of the Challengers of the Unknown is apparently sort of like the unofficial confessor to the superheroes. So they have Rocky of the the Challengers sitting on Challengers Mountain, and people come to him for spiritual advice and you know do this little thing where they sit in a confessional stall and talk to him. Oh, really? So Grace from The Outsiders, who's one of my favorite characters, has this moment where she's talking about her spirituality and whether she believes in anything. And it's all in the middle of this book that it, it's just there. Yeah, and then because we see, isn't the main story, isn't it, about Geoforce going after Slade and killing Slade? Geoforce is going after Slade for what Slade did to Terra, who is Geoforce's little sister. Right. And if you don't know what Terra did, you can always check back about 20 podcasts, and uh, I believe we had one where we covered yeah. the yeah. Judas contract. Yep. But there's there's a moment where... Slade confronts Geoforce, and of course he's Slade. He always has the upper hand. It's the DC universe. You know, if you if you're Batman or Deathstroke, you're always nine steps ahead. And in the middle of this, once again, there's this two page plot line with, for, for some reason, Jonathan and Clark Kent sitting on their porch, talking about the last day on Earth. And it's it's a beautiful moment. It seems to be drawn by Joe Kubert of all people. Hmm. And there it is in the middle of the book. And then we see Slade get the upper hand on Geoforce and stab him through the legs and pin him to the wall and, you know, play with him and mess with his head. And Geoforce finally realizes there's only one thing to do. So he takes Slade's sword and he slices his own throat on panel, mind you, in the same alleyway where Jericho, Joseph, Slade's son, had his throat slit 25 years ago. Slade freaks. Slade leaps forward. Throughout this whole thing, Deathstroke Slade has been saying that he created Terra and Geoforce and that he was going to use Geoforce the same way he used Terra. Well, he leaps forward and he's, you know, you can't take my victory away from me. And Geoforce's last words are, I still have your sword. And he runs him through with it. So Geoforce beats Deathstroke the Terminator. Wow. But he doesn't die. So then what happens at the end? I mean I mean this is a one shot. Yeah. Right? It's it's it seems to be just sort of an anthology of these things that happen. The end of the book we see Geoforce in the hospital being told that he finally took down Slade. 
We see The Flash, we see Oracle, we see Wildcat, we see Liberty Bell and Our Man going at it like there's no tomorrow, I might add. We see Wally West, and it just seems to be this issue about the heroes either celebrating life or deciding what they're going to do on the last day of their life. And it's it's powerful, it's weird, but I can't decide whether I really love the book or not. It it has a pretty weird you, ending because, you know, it's it's Green Lantern just kind of flying off and saying, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, Green Lantern has no fear, though. Remember that. That's I mean, that's our Hal Jordan moment. Or maybe Man he's like, fear. hey, look, I got another planet to go to. See you suckers later. I got this whole sector to patrol. It's kind of like, and I think it's it's something it's designed to give Final Crisis a little more weight to make this feel more final or, yeah. you know, more lethal than previous crises we may or may not have seen. And it's a good issue, and I, I like the fact that somebody finally got one over on Slate. I'm puzzled that they decided to make it Geoforce. If, if, if why not? He, he gets there, re- What's that, Rodrigo? I was going to say it makes sense because of the Terra connection, I guess. Yeah. It, it does make sense. If this were wrestling, though, this would this would be the equivalent of what we call that world title push, where a guy who's never been in the world title picture all of a sudden shows up to challenge Triple H. Yeah. And with a push like that, it can go one of two ways. It can go really well, like, say, a John Cena, or it can go really, really badly, like, I don't know, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. In this case, I think the jury's still out. I like the fact that Geoforce got one over. I just don't know what this book is about. I don't have a context for it. So some of the emotionalism that I might have felt, you know, Donna and Diana together was very moving. I love the cover. Yeah. Dick Grayson showing up to be with Bruce and Tim was very moving. But some of it just sort of rang a little false, and it was just a very strange issue for me. I'm going to go right down the middle, because the art was very good. Some of the art was spectacular. Yep, Adam Kubert. Some of those pages were just wonderful. I'm going to go with a 2.5 out of 5, because I can't put it into context in terms of its time, where it takes place during Final Crisis. It, to me, was more impressive than the last issue of Final Crisis. Mm Mm-hmm. But the last issue of Blue Beetle was also more impressive to me than the last <laughs> issue of Final Crisis. So, the, you know, make of that what you will. It's- 2.5 out of 5. Good book. Well drawn. Very puzzling. And Geoforce gets one over on, you know, the biggest villain in the DC Universe. It's also written by Brad Meltzer, who is, uh, what's he writing? He's writing almost uh, mm-hmm. Justice, Justice League. Is that what he's writing? Meltzer used to write Justice League. Oh, okay. uh, it's now Dwayne Duffy. Meltzer wrote Identity Crisis and oh, broke the right. DC universe. He also wrote this, uh, The Book of Lies, which I just picked up today, uh, yeah. 30% off. And so I might be checking that out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, supposedly so you, you the- only got two-thirds of the book? <laughs> anyway, so I was uh, out of town this past weekend. Listen to this, uh, Julian. Those are the, 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 the prizes waiting to be drawn. The names waiting to be drawn. Well, let's do it after your review. Uh, okay. Uh, so I was out of town this past weekend, and I've been hearing about this new line of uh, DC uh, action figures. And for whatever reason, I'm a big toy fan. I don't know why it is. And so instead of reviewing a title this week, I thought I would review some action figures. This being the new uh, Mattel DC Universe Infinite Crisis line. 
It sounds impressive, doesn't it? However, the first time I saw these, I was like, oh, come on. These are those three and three quarter inch. They look like G.I. Joe figures. You know, they don't go with my JLU stuff. They don't go with my DC Direct stuff. They're just kind of like this little tiny version. And so we were in Target in Lawrence, Kansas. And I was going through and I was like, ooh, look, they have Guy Gardner and Professor Zoom and the Atom and Black Atom and... Adam Strange and Black Hand and Shazam, not Captain Marvel, Shazam. I was like, these are okay, but they're still in this little three and three-quarter inch that I'm just not a big fan of. So I put all six of them aside and, and just let it go. I, I should remind you, these are Target exclusives. We went to another won't Target. Find them at Walmart. You won't find them at Walmart. God dang, Walmart. I hate that place. Uh, so later in the day, we were at another target for whatever reason i think we were picking up medicine for my son who was sick and i went down the toy aisle because you know when your son is sick the only place you can go is the toy aisle and uh and i saw some (laughs) other ones this time there were only four of them and i was like ah well you know they are kind of cool and they do have it looks to be some nice articulation points and everything and uh, i think i'll still skip it and then we were at one more target in topeka by (laughs) of all places and I went down the aisle, and I, was, and I looked, and this time they had a three-pack. And in the three-pack was the Flash, Mirror Master, and Weather Wizard. And this, for people that want to know where my toy obsession goes, if you want to get me hooked on any kind of toys, present me with a Flash figure. I don't care how crappy it is, but every time I've gone back and looked at toys, with the exception of the Batman animated series, the Flash is always the catalyst for me going, okay, I'm going to buy this now. And so I bought the three-pack, and then I said, you know what? And this is on Sunday. I said, you know what? I know that all six of those figures are available at that Target in Lawrence. So after we visited my parents, we drove up to uh, that one in Lawrence again, and I got all of them but Black Adam. And so the point of this story is if you see a whole collection just sitting there, and it's a complete run, a complete set, buy it. Because somebody else is going to come along and pick through it, and you're going to have nothing left. So wait, there's a premise to his book, and there's a point to your story? Yes, there is. Can you believe that? I'm still looking for both. And somewhere in between. Okay, so anyway, about the figures. They are very much like G.I. Joe, with the exception of their ankles don't bend and their wrists don't turn. That's probably good. That way you can stand them up. You can't, well, you can stand them up, but you can't get them into true kneeling positions or true sitting positions. And the fact that they all have the kung fu grip is kind of disappointing. But they do have something that that I'm missing on a lot of figures is the ball joint up on the shoulder. So you can move it up and down and back and forth, which Mm -hmm. I think is really cool. The body sculpts, of course, the torso and the legs are pretty much the same for every figure except for the little add-ons like Flash's little lightning bolts or Mirror Master's guns or whatever else that they're adding on. Uh, the heads are all different sculpts. I couldn't find one that looked to be the same thing. Uh, and, of course, everybody has a different paint job. The drawback is the paint job, especially on the faces, are not that great. They're kind of smooshed around. So I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in that. Uh, The other thing that's kind of cool about this is that the first wave of these does not include a Batman, does not include a Superman. Really? Which is surprising because the other figures that I love, these Justice League Unlimited ones, frickin' every single set has a frickin' Batman and a Superman in the three-pack. And so I've got like 15 Batman and Supermans laying around. One of them broke in half. I bought a new one, and it broke in half by the time we got home. 
Which one was it, Batman or Superman? It was Superman. Broke right in half. It's so funny. <laughs> that may be our, our picture for the show tonight. Uh, but what's cool is on the back of each of these cards, and I did take them out of their packaging, but I did keep no! the cards. I know, I know people say that, but you got to play with them. They are fun play, little play action figures uh, if you're into the three and three quarter. Now, the good thing about being that size, you probably could get play with them with your G.I. Joes. And you could play with them with your Indiana Jones figures or any other figures that are in that size. So that's kind of on the nice side. On the back of each of these cards, they have a kind of like a, I don't know, like stats. Like the code name, the real name, whether they're a hero or a villain, what their special ability is. And then it's got a power score. So like strength of 30, intelligence of 75, speed of 25, agility of 80. Energy or magic power, 55. And training and fighting skills, 40. That's for uh, Ryan Choi, the Atom. Mm. Which is kind of cool. So I, I want to know what the Flash's speed rating is. Uh, you know what? I do not have that one sitting right here because I just grabbed the Ryan Choi one before we began. Uh, but I bet it would be 100. <laughs> Over 9,000! <000. Whoa! laughs> okay, so <laughs> the other thing that I'm not, I don't really understand what they're doing with this is that there's a little tag on each of these figures called, there are beings called monitors that watch and observe every single individual and event in the DC universe. Infinite heroes. Um, I don't know what they're trying to do. They they have a lot of figures that you're not going to find in the JLU set, which is great, but they're also ones that you don't find in the DC Direct set that you wish there would. Like in an upcoming set, they have uh, Starfire and Raven. And a set together, and a three-pack together. There's a Commissioner Gordon and SWAT team guys together. Um, And there seems to be a a pretty good mix of good guys and villains. Although in my current, what do I have here, seven or eight characters, uh, I have more Flash villains. I've got Mirror Master, Weather Wizard, Professor Zoom. Adam Choi, the Adam, does not have a villain to fight. Guy Gardner has Black Hand to fight. Adam Strange and Shazam, because I don't have Black Adam, they don't have anybody to fight. So I don't know what the what the point of this series is quite yet. <laughs> Although my big intrigue is that there's a proof of purchase on the back of each of the packages, and it's called Anti-Monitor Points. This is exactly like the original G.I. Joe release was in 82. They had the card on the back of each one. They had the G.I. Joe flag points. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if they're trying to appeal to those of us who are old. It could be, because the other set that I picked up is called the, I think it's called the Fan Collection, and it's the Justice League figures, but they're repainted to be appealing to the fans. Like, I picked up a Batman one that has Batman with the gray suit and the blue cape and cowl, and also Mm. there's a Superman from the uh, Superman, uh, Death of Superman, where he's wearing all black. Mm. And then there's also a Kilowog, which I, no, he doesn't. Uh, and he does it, and this is really weird too, because the Justice League Unlimited line right now, all the figures, well, the Batman Superman figures, all bend at the elbows and at the knees. And this one is in the same way with the Batman one, are just the uh, five point articulation ones, the uh, leg joints, the shoulders, and the neck. And they're just repaints, and they don't bend anything else beyond that. Interesting. They also have a Kilowog, which I couldn't understand his re- repaint because I almost positive that I have the Kilowog action figure. There's a Hawkman, and then there's a Stargirl uh, figure in this uh, in this fan collection stuff. But it's still pretty cool. My son got a kick out of him. I think he may be the one that broke the that one Superman figure. 
that little guy. <laughs> oh, so, man. Okay, so Girl, going back that. to these Infinite Crisis heroes, these three and three quarter inch ones, I would give them playability factor. I'm going to give them four out of five because they certainly have a playability. Compatibility with other action figures from the DC Universe from Mattel, I'm giving them a, a, a one out of five because there's no compatibility with any other action figures that are out there. Art style, you know, I'm going to also probably give it a two and a half because the paint job is good but not that good. And then because they're using some unique characters, I'm going to give them a five out of five for that. So I think, Matthew, do your math really quick. I think that probably tabulates out to like a three, seven, five or something like that. Three three and three quarter stars. There you go. Three and three quarter stars. If you can find them, pick them up. I tried to do a search for this Black Adam figure, and it must be impossible to find because nobody's even selling them on eBay. That's funny that you give them a three-and-three-quarter stars because they're three-and-three-quarter inches tall. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Good catch there, Rodrigo. Welcome. All right. So there you go with our reviews for the week. I, maybe every once in a while I'll, I'll bring in a review of some toys. Would that be okay? Well, I, yeah, definitely. Does that mean I, I can read the latest issue of Maxim? <laughs> hey, toys are pop culture. I'm not sure boobies. Well, boobies are always fun. Hey, pooby, boobies are always pop culture. Shall we get to the uh, poll of the week? The major spoilers poll of the week. Week, 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 poll of the week, poll of the week. I think we totally should because this time it's healthcare in the future. And I ain't talking HMOs, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Once again in our ongoing series of arguments to see who would win a fist fight for no reason at all. Spock. Um, <laughs> round 10. Round 10. Which of these men would you entrust your health and physical well-being to? Would, in the, on the one hand, we have the extremely xenophobic, yet vaguely menacing and kind of entertaining Dr. Leonard McCoy. But, you know, in his defense, Spock did have green blood. True. So, you know, you got that going for you. And then, of course, his opponent... From a planet I can't even pronounce. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, you are such a geek. What is it, Rodrigo? Decapod 10. There you go. I believe. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, He's reputed to have a degree, but nobody's ever seen it. Dr. Zoidberg. Does he have a first name? Uh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I know that his great uncle was the great uh, actor Harold Zoid. Right. Yeah. I'm going to say Hiram. Hiram Zoidberg. <laughs> so, who, so who would win in a fight? Uh, I think people took one this one of two ways. Either who would win in a fight between mm-hmm. these two, in which case I would pick Zoidberg every time. Right. Or who has the better healthcare system, McCoy or Dr. Zoidberg? Uh, you know, the Futurama future or the Star Trek future. Well, so technically I, they're the same future, but that's neither here nor there. True. So who who would it be, Rodrigo? Why don't you kick us off? Give us your uh, your pick and your reasoning. Well, um, as far as a as a straight up fight, I would have to go with Doctor Zoidberg just because um, if he was really going at him, he could really maim him with those uh, pincers. Yeah. And if he wasn't, then he could probably kill him because Doctor Zoidberg gets more accomplished by accident than by anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and if it were healthcare systems? Um, well, you know, Star Trek, it's got a lot of cool stuff going on where they just kind of point a thing at you and you feel better. But let's face it, Futurama has uh, one of the better 
healthcare options out there, which is a suicide booth. So I'll probably have to go with Futurama as well on that one. <laughs> See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go the other way because. Zoidberg always seems to have needles and probes and entertaining things that he wants to put in your various orifices, where Dr. McCoy just sort of waves a salt shaker over your head and, and pronounces you healthy. And you get to lay in that bed with that cool noise that goes... I don't even know what that is. It ain't a heartbeat. But I'm going to go with Dr. McCoy for two reasons. One, because... His dialogue was always better, and I was just waiting for the one time. It's the old joke of, Bones, that man is dying. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a... Oh, crap, I am a doctor. <laughs> but also because, as much as I love Zoidy, I never actually saw him fix anyone. Whereas McCoy would actually... He'd, like, bring people back from the dead with nothing but stern words. Damn it, man, live! I, I'm going to go with uh, Zoidberg because... This is the reason why I didn't choose McCoy for either reason. Uh, McCoy doesn't have a good uh, record with red shirts, and I'm afraid on a starship I would be a red shirt, and I would be the first on the away missions, and, and I really don't think McCoy's going to help me too much. You would be one of the cosmic space hippies. <laughs> you wouldn't even get to red shirt, and I'm going to set would my I, face would I be on that, would, that, would I be that guy that half my face is painted white and the other half is black? No, you'd never be that relevant. Oh, you'd, okay. <laughs> You'd be like one of Harry Mudd. I'd be Harry Mudd. <laughs> you bastard. See, now that's, that's Mr. Bastard to you. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I'd be one of the Indians on the strange planet where Captain Kirok led me to my death. So I could just be in a, in a wheelchair. Beep, 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 beep. Beep once for yes and twice for no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so head on over to the Major Spoilers website. Take the poll challenge for yourself and determine who's going to come out on top. Now, last week, I think I mentioned that it seems that the poll is already decided by the time the number reaches 100, and today it reached 100, and Zoidberg was on top, and then an hour later it hit 150, and it flip-flopped, and, and McCoy was on top. And now we're mm -hmm. sitting at something like 233 votes, and it's... 50-50 nearly. It's 51% it to 49%. With a 2% margin of error, I mean, it's practically even. Exactly. And for those of you interested, last week, uh, Willow was on top with Faith uh, right behind. And never mind. <laughs> yeah. So many jokes. <laughs> Matthew's going to hyperventilate just thinking about Willow. I, I think my head just exploded. <laughs> so our trade Never paper be a doctor that way. <laughs> <laughs> our trade make paper... way for Zoidy. <laughs> our trade paperback review this week. Heck, boy, seeds of destruction. That is I right. It, you know, because, this is one of the first uh, things, and and this is that Hellboy thing that that Mike Mignola uh, really made made great. Uh, came about in this in this first trade, Volume 1, The Seed of Destruction. And, Rodrigo, why don't you give us a quick rundown, and then we'll just kind of jump in with, with some thoughts about this stuff. All right. I believe Hellboy, Seed of Destruction, is um, the very first kind of Hellboy adventure, the first arc. Um, uh, we are introduced to Hellboy. We get a glimpse of the uh, Nazi experiment that brought him to our world. Uh, we're introduced to his uh, father figure, uh, Professor Broom, which I believe is spelled with like seven H's and a T and an R somewhere. Um, 
and uh, we are sort of within the span of the story. We kind of uh, meet Rasputin. We fight some frog monsters. We go to the Himalayas, and we go to upstate New York, wow. where uh, the fate of the universe is decided. Of course. <laughs> I know New York thinks they're the center of the universe, but deciding the fate of the universe? Come on. Yeah. Um, we also meet a, a ghost with a harpoon, which is awesome. <laughs> and this is where we also get introduced to some of uh, Hellboy's other big uh, characters uh, in the form of Abe Sapien and uh, Liv Tyler. And uh, Liz, uh, Liz Sherman. Yeah, there you go. Liz Sherman, not Liv Tyler. <laughs> Liv Tyler was in the Aerosmith videos. Oh, yes. Yes, she was indeed. So anyway, they're, they're called to investigate uh, Dr. Broom's death. And so they go up to this, uh, this Cavendish Hall in upstate New York where they really encounter these frogmen. And this is really – and I don't know if uh, – and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Magnolia? Magnolia? I believe it's Mignola. Mignola. Uh, Mignola. Please don't sue us. Uh, I don't know if he is laying the seeds of destruction in this very first arc to things that have just happened like – in this past year with the, uh, the War of Frogs and the, and the Plague of Frogs storylines. But this is where we do get to see these very first frog-type creatures, and we're exposed to a lot of Cthulian myth. You know, these, uh, these characters, what are they? The Abjaborgog or something, uh, the Agdru Jihad, these prison creatures in another dimension. Mm-hmm. And Rasputin mm-hmm. trying to free them. In fact, that's what brought... Uh, uh, Hellboy to Earth was Rasputin and the Nazis trying to uh, bring forth these creatures way back during uh, World War II, and that battle continues even into into present day. In this case, nineteen ninety four. Right. Right. What do you What are your See, thoughts on this story overall? It felt to me very evocative of, and I don't know if you guys grew up like I did, watching like the. The Saturday morning reruns of the old serials, like Captain Marvel. Oh, and yeah, Buck, yeah. Buck Rogers, know, and, Rocket Man from Command, the Moon, Commander Cody. Commando yeah. Cody, yeah. It felt very much like that. And I got to tell you, Mignola can draw his ass off. Oh, yeah. I tell I, you what, you, if look you guys at, you look at some of his early stuff that he was doing for DC when he was doing covers and when he did Cosmic Odyssey and mm-hmm. um, Gotham by Gaslight and what was the other one he did? Uh, when Death Comes to Gotham, I think, or something like that. So, yeah. That awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Yeah. If you and if you go through this entire sequence, it, I think it initially printed as four issues. This is one of the few that I don't have the original issues yeah, of. Yeah, me neither. Each break in the story, each issue break is one of those, you know, not necessarily a huge kind of, oh my God, how will the Brown Hornet get out of this one? But it's always a cliffhanger, and it's an old school cliffhanger, which is fascinating. I think big chunks of this became that first Hellboy movie, too. Yeah, you can really see, I, mean, I was going to wait for that later, but we might as well talk about it now. Yeah, there are major portions of this story that feed into that into that first movie, from the frogmen, these um, whatever they are, the... The uh, creatures that run around with the eyeballs and everything, and then mm-hmm. the and then the uh, Cthulian creatures out in space in the crystals, and of course Rasputin and the and the whole idea of this right hand of doom. You're there to conquer the world, not be a hero for it. Right. My problem is I saw Hellboy in a uh, twofer with Van Helsing, and the two movies ran together for me. So 
<laughs> Seriously, it's it's one big it's one big movie called Van Hellboy. <laughs> so my brain does not delineate between the two films at all. So, but I mean, I really like the tension inherent in the story. I like the way it takes weird elements of you know magic and the occult and makes them, if not believable, it makes them a believable part of the character's world. Yeah, and I think that's what's really cool about this is because what he's doing here is he's taking real myth, real folktale, uh, well, I shouldn't say they're real, but I mean things that we know from our growing up or from right. our other reading experiences like the whole Cthulhu story uh, characters. I mean, I had what really struck me is I just started reading Cthulhu uh, or H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft about this time. And I read the first trade, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then I started going, okay, now who is this character? Who's this character? And you start actually having to do some research into all of these other characters and myths until you find out that, you know, Mike has gone in and done a f fantastic job of his research, or else he knows all of the folktales throughout the world and has incorporated them into, uh, you know, these stories. See, I I'm thinking he's probably one of those guys who's accumulated folk tales because he likes them, and now he's got so many that he's trying to, you know, if not weave them all together, trying to use them in his stories in a really entertaining manner. Rodrigo, I think it was on the uh, on the DVD for the Hellboy movie that they have an interview with Mike Mignola, and he says like that Hellboy basically grew out of him wanting to write a story uh, made up of things that he liked to draw. <laughs> and I can totally see that because this this kind of stuff is the stuff that like I like to draw, you know, giant monsters, big demon guys. Right. Well, and so know, much stuff comes out of guns, explosions. Oh yeah, and a lot of this stuff just seems to come out of left field. You know, all of a sudden, oh, we're we're going to this Cavendish Hall, and oh, now there's an underground thing. Uh, Abe d dive down there, and then he starts having flashbacks to what happened to Broom, and then the Frog Brothers show up. And so it's it's just very, the Frog very, Brothers. Yeah, well, I call them Edgar the and brothers. Alan. Edgar and Alan. Yeah, we're gonna kill us some vampires. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the other thing about this tale is, you know, you expect really Hellboy to save the day in the end, so to speak. You know, the one that actually gets to uh, kill Rasputin or kill the big bad in the story, but it's really not him it's it's uh it's abe sapien who's yeah. been possessed by the spirit of lord cavendish or whatever his name is who built it, the hall again yahoo please Elihu Cavendish, hello. but you know his ghost inhabits no you know a i don't know i consider abe a sidekick character inhabits his body and he's the one that stabs rasputin is that what you would see despite calling this they they call it Hellboy, but it's an ensemble, right? It's like ER, and it's you know you've got your central figure in George Hellboy Clooney. slash Doctor Green. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say you know the other guy from Revenge of the Nerds, but oh yeah yeah, you Goose. do have that central character, but it's not about him. Yeah, it's about his world, and I think the fact that Abe gets in the last shot is just one of the things that takes this away from being. You know, your standard issue comic story where you have, oh, horrible villain, oh, here's the hero, oh, and the hero beats the villain. At the end, you're, you're expecting something to happen. You're expecting Hellboy to do something, and bam, Elihu, 
takes over, you know, or manages <laughs> to have already had taken over Abe Sapien and stab him through the, you know, that it, was, it, it worked for me because it wasn't what I expected. And not a whole lot in this arc comes up and goes exactly where you expected it to go. And and yet it kind of has this this whole thing going where it's like okay frog monsters, Cthulhu monsters, ghosts. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm here. I I I, get, I smell what you're cooking. It's all good. It has a little bit of something for everyone, yeah. or maybe not something for everyone. Because I think one of the reasons why, and I think we I, I talked about this when we were uh, discussing Atomic Robo from Red Five Comics, in that I dig Atomic Robo. It has the same kind of look as what we see in, in some of the current Hellboy stories, but it's a sci-fi take mm-hmm. on all the tales, where this is all really steeped in folklore and mythology, and you have to understand that in order to appreciate the story. I never knew who Baba Yaga was, and yet when she shows up, I think, in the second or third trade, I'm like, I have no idea what her history is, except she rides around in a house uh, with chicken legs on it. Right. That's all and that's, I knew of I her. mean, that's another... That's another European legend from, you know, centuries back. Baba Yaga was one of the, the great evil ones, and her shadow would sour milk and cause mothers to miscarry and blah, 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 blah. Taking that, you know, if you're familiar with Baba Yaga, as I was going into it, it's like, oh, cool, I know where he's going. But even if you don't, Mignola manages to give you enough background to grasp the basis of this is Baba Yaga. She's essentially a badass, and right. bad things happen. Right. She flies around in a teacup. Exactly. It's actually a pestle, and she pushes oh, herself through the air with mortar. Okay, I'm sorry. The vessel with the pestle has the pellet <laughs> with the poison, but the flagon with the dragon has the blue that's true. Okay. That's a reference that's <sighs> over my head, although I know I've heard it. Where's that from? That's from an old Danny Kaye movie. I can't remember which one exactly. I think it's uh, The Prince and the Pauper, perhaps. Oh, okay. All right. But somebody broke the flagon with the dragon, so now the pellet with the poison is in the chalice from the palace, and the vessel with the pestle has would the blue that be, uh Now we're getting way off talk- target, but would that be the, uh, what is it, the uh, Prince and the Pauper? Possibly. Okay. To the wiki! <laughs> Danny Kaye references. Uh, Ladies and you, gentlemen. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? I, I forgot. So he doesn't who even is, know. Let me ask you this. Awesome. No, I, I, I really eat up the, the whole mythology thing. I've always liked it. I kind of started up with Greek mythology and have been working my way to kind of more obscure things because, you know, kind of, I think Greek mythology and, dare I say, kind of Judeo-Christian folklore are kind of like the things that we get the most right. um, nowadays, you know, in the United States and even back in Mexico. Um, and then, you know, Eastern European stuff is creepy as all get out. Oh, yeah. Um, and don't even get me started on kind of, uh, like, um, Indian and Hindu monsters are really weird. And, you know, Mike Mignola does a great job of actually making these horrible things that go bump in the night very accessible to an American audience. Well, and then I like how he's created this character of Hellboy who can just, sometimes he has no problem dispatching the, the little gremlin, the little thing that's under the staircase and then there's other times where you have these great lines of him just uh, this great pose of of despair and shock going ah crap you know (laughs) and then it's like wow this is a brilliant character Uh, rodrigo give me your definition or define hellboy for us who is he in your mind um hellboy is a 
two-fisted, although one fist is larger than the other, um, Rock'em Sock'em Demon from another dimension, who is also a paranormal investigator, and usually comes out on top, although never comes out on skate. Okay. I, I look at him as this tragic lone figure who seems mm-hmm. to have the weight of the world upon him, and even though he's trying to find his place in the world, he never can. And that even comes out in this first story where he's meeting with Rasputin, and Rasputin's telling him, hey, look, essentially you're going to take over everything, and if you don't believe me, why do you think you have the right hand of doom on your hand? Although the, the, I think it's the second trade that's called the right hand of doom. Mm-hmm. Mm. Matthew, what, what, is your, what is your idea of who uh, Hellboy if is? I'm- I, I, I can break it down Hollywood style. Okay. Is there a rap it's, beat? Do it, I need to give you the beats? No, 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 no. Not, not Brentwood, Hollywood. Oh, okay. Hellboy is Nick Fury meets the demon meets just enough of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman to make it fascinating. Okay. Because Hell. Hellboy is is essentially kind of a Nick Fury archetype that you, it, when he when he you know gets in his moments, especially if you think about the Ron Perlman take on the character, he's kind of you know this guy you know the the tough talking gruff guy with a cigar, yeah, and he's surrounded by these other characters that he's essentially going to protect whether he admits it or not, you know people that he considers to be partially his equals and partially his problem. And he's in situations that he can't necessarily always control, mm-hmm. but usually he'll you know find a way to beat somebody over the head until he can at least come out of it, you know, in as as close to one piece as possible. Like Rodrigo said, there's always consequences. Right. I think that's where the magic portion of it comes in. If this were, if you broke down Seed of Destruction, you could cast it as a Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos adventure. If you stripped out some of you know the mythology and some of the backstory, you could play this straight as just you know Nick Fury in 1944 and the same thing going on. You can have you know the Nazis trying to call upon this great power, and bad things happen, and then you know there's some girl with flaming hands. I don't know. I really really enjoy the fact that Mignola is a writer artist. Oh man, that is which, that is like a one two power punch combo. That exactly. works perfectly in in this in this first trade in this first volume, and even though throughout that first ten or fifteen pages, I kept misreading the the professor's name as Mister Butterbottom, <laughs> because I was you know I'm I'm reading quickly I, I speed read sometimes yeah but other than that you know there really wasn't anything that I would consider to be a, a false note or a weak point it was a very good story it started at the beginning. It gave us a little bit of what came before the beginning, but it had a normal middle and it had an end, which is something that you miss in a lot of comic books, especially now. There aren't structures to the story. Right. And this one this one goes from point A to point B to point C. It gets us where we're going. It tells us some things that happened outside the time frame, but mostly it's a story where actions have consequences, which is something that... I'm not mentioning any names called Marvel, isn't doing for me right now. So it was kind of a change of pace amongst the stuff that I've been reading the rest of this summer. Cool. Rodrigo? Any thoughts um, or follow-ups on that? Well, one thing, and I mean, it's, it's definitely not to put down this uh, 
the series. Um, I've read later Hellboy stuff, and it seems right. that Hellboy has a strong personality. His relationship with Abe Sapien is, especially with Abe, is very strong, you know, in that kind of like playing off each other kind of way, and also kind of a small rivalry thing. It seems that in this book, he hadn't quite found Hellboy's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the, 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 the thought bubbles, not thought bubbles, but kind of like the, the narration that Hellboy goes through seems a little verbose for him sometimes, I think. Okay. Um, but I think it's, you know, because he was just getting to it and getting through the story, and eventually Hellboy kind of grew and changed. Here's, here's what some of the Major Spoilerite Legion had to say up on the Major Spoilers website about this. Hermit said, Now this is a book. This is the Hellboy that I love. I like Ron Perlman's portraying, but for me, he just looks like him. He's not him. Hellboy is one of the comics that you have to read at least once a year, any of the first four volumes, and with new gorgeous Hellboy... Oh, and with that new gorgeous Hellboy library that's coming out, life just got better. And I think I am actually might be getting this uh, Hellboy library because it's like an archive edition. It's like an absolute edition for Hellboy. It's pretty awesome. That was Hermit. Uh, let's see. Kirby says, Hellboy, uh, I felt like it had a good... Inter- or the first one felt like it had a good introduction to many of the characters. And if one saw the Hellboy movie first, then got into Hellboy like I did, one would be shocked to find Professor Bottom... But- what did you call him? Butterbottom? Butterbottom. Murdered, murdered very early on. It also laid groundwork for later stories, which was set up very nicely. And that's what I think uh, Kirby's saying uh, in terms of the uh, the frog the Plague of Frogs and the War of Frogs and the uh, Black Flame storylines that came out, what, like four years ago or something like that? Right. Black Flame, I don't see a date on Black Flame. Well, I think it's it's funny, that, that thing about Professor uh, Broom, the boom, the boom. What about um, <laughs> Yeah, because I saw, I did see the Hellboy movie first, and then I read this, and I was like, oh, he dies very early. But, you know, he dies in the movie, and then I saw, um, what was it, Sort of Storms, uh-huh. the Hellboy animated, animated. Mm-hmm. and um, and he was alive in that, so it's like, okay, is this a sequel, or, or is this a prequel, or does it not happen in the movie universe? Because it's voiced by almost all the same people. Um, so I was just, I, I didn't know where the, uh, where the uh, animated movies fit into it, or if it was just its own alternate Hellboy timeline. That's one of the cool things, well... And we've interviewed, uh, gosh dang, uh, Stone, um, what's his first name? I can't think of it. The guy that was the uh, producer uh, behind the, the Hellboy animated. And even though they reside in their own universe, what's great about the Hellboy stories is they bounce around in time so much. So we're first introduced to Hellboy in 1994 with the Seed of Destruction. But that's not to say that Hellboy's been around since the 1940s that we can't have other stories about him. And so the current storyline, The Crooked Man, takes place in the 1950s. And Mm -hmm. so you do get the chance to see Professor uh, Broom uh, alive again in different stories, very much like you get to see Marv in Sin City alive in different stories, depending on when they take place in the overall continuity. Mm. Was Matthew, you had said that this that having Mike Mignola as a writer artist was a great thing. What did you guys think of Mignola's artwork in this particular volume? It is one of the things about Hey, hey Superman curse you, I'll see you in thirty days. <laughs> I was first introduced to Hellboy. 
And to some degree, Mignola's art through John Byrne's Next Men. Yeah. Legend Comics. His first appearance was in there. And to go from a character being drawn by John Byrne to being drawn by Mike Mignola is a huge leap. Oh, yeah. So my first interaction there was, what the hell is this? And Mignola's art is it I mean Mignola's art is definitely something that you have to really look at. It's it's an acquired taste. It's like blue cheese. Not everybody's gonna love it. I loved it now. I remember when it came out in ninety four and ninety five, partly because Wizard was all over this book and like, hi, this is the new great awesomeness thing because Valiant went under and stuff. <laughs> I hated hated Mignola's um, anatomy. Oh but yeah, because used... yeah, you, when you look at Hellboy on that mm-hmm. first on that first story, he's got this very elongated torso and these arms that seem to be longer than they should be, and then the the cloven hooves. Yeah, and you you have to look at it from the perspective of I love it now because I realize what he's doing. It's kind of like Kevin O'Neill, the man who drew Martial Law and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. First time I saw Kevin O'Neill, I was like, what in God's name is this? But, you know, looking at it now, and having really sat down and read it as a reading experience now, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I, I, I wish I had, in early days, picked it up and read it. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, there's... I don't want to say rough edges. There's kind of uh, the beginning of the evolution of what would become that Hellboy style in this book. There's incredible use of blacks, and there's that strange detail that he does on the monsters and equipment and things, and yet has that semi, you know, not quite... I don't even want to say, you know, photorealism, because Mm -hmm. there aren't photos of anything that he's drawing. But it has that kind of quasi-realism where you look at it and go, this is all consistent. Right. You may, you may look at it and go, hey, well, the anatomy kind of looks funny. But it's all consistent with itself. It's, you know, it's an artistic style rather than an artistic tick. I, so I, I look at it now and I'm like, this is just incredible. I do, like, I his, I do like his early, you know, kind of schlumpy characters as opposed to the way the characters are being drawn today where they have the bigger, broader chests. And things seem a little bit more refined. And I think that's partly due to uh, Mignola's art style himself refining over the years, but also everybody aping his style because there's people that are working on Hellboy comics that are not Mike Mignola. And so they're trying to come as close to that. And so we're kind of getting a mishmash. But I like this very first version of Hellboy a lot in far as its art style. And again, I go back to what he did on Batman, and I've got that Batman black and white Mike, McN- Min- Mike Mignola statue that just rocks as far as the schlumpy kind of pose that is really great. As far as the book itself, I know that it's important for comic books today to be in color because that's what people are going to pick up because then they think it's more mainstream. Anything Mm -hmm. that you see in black and white is probably an indie book, and nobody buys indie books, right? But I've got this this book called uh, Hellboy the Companion, which kind of takes everything up until uh, the latest BPRD storyline. It's pronounced Biprid. Biprid collection. The 1946 collection is the last thing that this goes up to. But inside, they are reprinting a lot of the story panels in black and white, and my God, like you were saying, Matthew, with these dark blacks and whites and high contrast, his art is beautiful in black and white. 
And here's a great shot with Kirby dots galore. <laughs> there's a there's a definite Kirby influence. I mean, there are bits of it, especially with um, some of the shots of Abe, mm -hmm. where I feel almost a Ditko influence, um, you know, early Doctor Strange and Spider-Man kind of influence. But, you know, there's, and again, I don't know how much anybody listening cares, but there's almost kind of a, a I don't know, a German expressionism right. feeling right. going on. It's oh, like, absolutely. That, that classical art style where you look at it and even just the parts of it where you're going, yeah, that's a complete comic book pose. You're like, but there's overtones of something bigger and something, you know, more ancient. Kind of like, you know, drawing in the elements of that, that old mythology. He's drawing in elements of classical artistic stylings. And, you know, it, it, it's one of the things that the overeducated schmuck in me goes, hey, that sure is cool, because now I can say things like existentialism. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely. Following this, there have been, what, eight, eight Hellboy volumes. Do you guys have another one that's your favorite? Do you have another volume that's your favorite? I like that first arc of BPRD. Okay. But it partly because it gave us more insight to the other characters and to the way the other characters relate to and bounce off Hellboy. Mm -hmm. I like. I mean, I like it when you see the background characters and they seem to have their own lives and their own minds. I, I'm a big fan of Volume Four, Hellboy: The Right Hand of Doom, that has this little short story called Pancakes in it, and it's a story of Hellboy as a young lad. And he doesn't know what a pancake is, and he keeps calling it a Pam cake. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, oh, I want to try it. And he's like, no, no, I don't want to eat it. I don't want to eat it. And then he eats it, and he's like, mmm, this is good. And then you go down to hell, and there's all these creatures in hell, and they go, the, uh, something like, the prophecy has come to pass. He has eaten the Pam cake. And that's the <laughs> end of the story. That's the end of the story right there. And it just cracks me up because it's so funny. And it goes back to saying that, you know, Mike has the ability to write funny dialogue. Even though it's, a, it's somewhat serious in its tale. And, you know, there's things that come out of left field even in Seed of Destruction where when the main villain, the, uh, the Agdru Jihad, are prevented from entering our world, that all of a sudden there's this shot of these creatures in space that are monitoring the events, and we've never seen them again. Yeah, that that just, like, flipped things around for me. I was, like, that... I, I think I'd block out that page, because it was only one, that one page. Right. And I was like, it, it actually really threatens the, the BPRD universe for me. Um, it, it's, it's just kind of everything very magical, and I, and I get it, you know. Uh, somebody imprisoned these guys, and there could be kind of a, you know, like you said, kind of a Cur you know, Kirby-esque magic technology deal kind of going on um, where, you know, it's kind of magic or technology so advanced that it's essentially magic. But, yeah, those uh, little space monsters that are uh, monitoring the Elder Gods, I was like, what is that about? And it just took me by surprise and made me go, oh, maybe I do want to continue reading this. <laughs> Going back to what Hermit said uh, about the library edition, that actually came out in May of 2008. So that is out now if you can find it. Cool. That collects Seeds of Destruction, Mike Mignola's Hellboy, Mike Mignola's Hellboy World's Greatest Paranormal Investigator, and the Wake the Devil series, which is the Volume 2 
um, collection of Hellboy. Corey posted up on the site and says, Hellboy Trade Paperbacks Volume 1 through 6 are excellent. But it starts going downhill after that. Hellboy Volume 8 Darkness Calls is really a letdown. The art is fine. I love the art. It's just that there's no, there was not sufficient enough story to fill out six issues. Mignola's time was obviously devoted to Hellboy 2. Hopefully now that no studio would be stupid enough to put money into Hellboy 3, Mignola will finally get around to doing the art for his Hellboy comic books. He had me, and then he lost me. Yeah, I know. I I read that too. And I was like, Corey's got some good things to. Oh, okay. Oh man. Well, what do you think? I mean, did you guys well, saw Hell? Who saw Hellboy two? Did you see it, Rodrigo? I have not managed to see it. Okay, I would but say I have it. Car problem. Because it's Guillermo del Toro, another name I can't pronounce. Guillermo uh, del Toro. Because it's because it's him. There's certainly his influence in this in this movie. Uh, in Hellboy 2. And so I don't think it's as good. It doesn't have the um, power that you read from, like Corey says, these first six trades. It seems to be a lot more funny and a lot more other things going on. Uh, But it has done well enough that I know that there is talks of a third Hellboy movie to round out the trilogy and to complete the story. And the early word is, in the Hellboy 3 movie, Hellboy dies. That would be kind of cool. You didn't see it either, Matthew? Uh, I just saw Iron Man. That'll tell you where I am. Okay. Did any, You guys both saw the first movie, though, right? Yeah. What'd you yeah, think of that? I, I thought, thought that Van Helsing great. was interesting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, I really like the, the first Hellboy. It, it's one of those things where, like, after watching it, I was like, like, I probably actually wanted to like it more than I actually did like it. But I liked it a lot. It, you know, the special effects were great. Um, I thought the pacing was good. The characterization was good. Um, some of Lair's hot. To, you know, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, obviously. Um, it, and, you know, it, it, it did a good job of sort of setting up the, the Hellboy universe, I felt, and give you a good mix of action. So you came so into was, this. Was all about it. You came into this backwards, like um, like Kirby did, where you saw the movie first and then read mm-hmm. the comic. Is that a good way to do it, or should people read the comic first and then go to the movie? Uh, honestly, I think I feel that the the first Hellboy movie, I haven't seen the second one, gives you. A, I mean, it is. You know, I I, I disagree. Um, I I think it was Hermit who said that it wasn't. You know, that it wasn't the same. I, I think it gives you a good enough you know, sort of feel for what Hellboy is like and, and Hellboy the universe, not just Hellboy the character. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you watch the movie and you like it, that's a good indication of whether you're going to like the, the comic or not. Okay, Mike Mignola, want, this is uh, Julian posting on the site. Mike Mignola, Mike Mignola said that if you want to get into the industry, don't try and be the next Batman or Spider-Man, although he did draw Batman. Make your own character with its own backstory, and you're sure to be noticed. This novel is his absolute truth. Hellboy was the thing that cemented Dark Horse as a publisher to me. This novel soars with intrigue, action, and proves that Mike Mignola is a force to be reckoned with in the comic book industry, movie industry, uh, not so much. That's Julian up there on the Major Spoilers website. Yeah, I was doing a little digging on Corey's assertions, and uh, it looks like Hellboy 2 has grossed something like $112 million outstripping the original Hellboy movie. Wow. And it looks like the main reason there seem to be indicating that it took the big drop that it did that second week, a little something opened that week called The Dark Knight. Yeah. 
That was, Which, I mean, it was yeah, wedged right in between Indiana Jones, I think, no, and Han- Knight, yeah. Hancock and the Dark Knight was what it was yeah. wedged between. And there was almost, that was the only spot this summer it could fit in. I probably wouldn't have minded this as a, as a Thanksgiving release, Hellboy 2, mind you. Um, right. And it still would have gotten me to the theater. So, go ahead. Looking Matthew. at what I'm saying here, that's a, we are almost. I would say we're pretty likely to see a Hellboy three. I, I'm going to guess that as well. If the second one outstripped the first one and you know did as well as it did in just a few months, I mean it. It was released in what June? Yeah, July. Yep. yep. So I mean, I, I would hardly call that a badly tanking, but yeah, just me. So and, and honestly, it's it's a good thing that. Um, you know that there was that if there was a negative reaction to Hellboy, it'll it'll probably get them to reconsider things and you know essentially compare the two movies and say what works and what doesn't. Right. So right. I'm, I have high hopes if there is a Hellboy three that it'll be you know Hellboy three. I have I have a plan. I think what Hellboy is going to do is he's going to team up with some breakdancers to save the local youth center. That would be uh, Hellboy uh, two Electric Boogaloo, which right, unfortunately right, right. was not. Uh, Unless you're talking about Hellboy 3 breaking. Wiki, wiki. <laughs> so, final thoughts on Hellboy. Give us star ratings. Rodrigo, why don't you start off? Is this a good book to recommend, and, and why, and, and is there a, a star rating you can give? Uh, I'll, I'll actually give it four and a half stars. Um, it's, it's probably a four-star book, but it becomes a four and a half star book when you wave it in between the thousands and thousands and thousands of superhero books that are out there. Okay. Seriously, if you're tired of your, if you're tired of picking up a book that introduces a new superhero along with its Justice League analogs, pick up Hellboy. There's nothing like that. Matthew. I would agree with that. This is probably a good book to give to your friends who might be, you know, mired in the whole independent comic thing and thinking that maybe an adventure book wouldn't be for them, or maybe even somebody who has more of a classical, you know, movie or TV background, and you're looking for a comic book that might get them in without being intimidated by guys in tight pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say definitely four and a half stars as well. The art alone sells it. And the fact that Mignola really obviously loves his character and loves the over in which he's working, I'm telling you, it's, it's definitely worth the money. I, I'm just not as eloquent as, as you guys. This is a kick-ass book. And unless you're one of those, unless you're one of those religious types that anything with the word hell in it that you're going to avoid, Hellboy is actually a great character, and he's not the devil. You know, he's not the demon. He's not Satan. Uh, this is actually right. some good stories that kind of give you hope in a dark age of evil and villainy and vile evilness out there. Vile evilness. Exactly. <laughs> you evil, are not vile, as eloquent as us. Sorry. I know. I vile think, evil. I think that was a D&D supplement. <laughs> of vile yeah. evilness. No, it was the Tomb of Vile that, Evil that's Villainy. Gonna be, that's going to be our... Uh, um, it's going to be our anti-hero, our villain in one of our stories that we come up, come up with. The vile uh-huh. evilness. Hey, if we're going to do it as an image comic, the superhero can be named Death Strike Blood Force. <laughs> I'm giving this a four out of five stars, I think. If you haven't read any Hellboy, this is a great place to start to get kind of a good overall picture. But from there, you've got eight other volumes to, to cherish. All right. Now, the moment Julian has been waiting for... Let's get this Dark Knight contest out of the way. So we had ten official entries, seven of them from Julian, 
one from Hermit, one from Eric from Cardboard Monocle, and one from Arabella. Now, how do I do this? We're not just going to roll a dice and pick some number. What I did was I actually cut ten little pieces of paper, all the same size, and put everyone's name on it for each official entry. So, yes, Julian has seven of these. I've put them all in an empty Coors box that has been empty since, well, about an hour ago. We're going <laughs> to shake them all up. I'm going to shake them all up. And you know what? I am going to just totally freak if Julian doesn't win when he's got the 70% chance of winning this thing. But it is Mm -hmm. totally random. La, 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 la. Okay, tell me when to pull. Now. All right, here we go. All right. And the winner of our limited edition Frank Miller inspired. Batman and uh, Robin Catwoman statue from the Dark Knight Strikes Back, DK2. I haven't even looked at this. Oh, I'm all shivers. And Are we ready? <laughs> this is going to suck if Julian doesn't win this. I know this. <laughs> and the winner is, yes, Julian. Congratulations, Julian. You did win. And the entry, and I actually wrote down all the numbers for Julian that for that he entered. Julian won with image number four, and I believe this is the one with he and Peter Mayhew, uh, Chewbacca. So, Julian, that will be going out. Chewbacca really came through for you there, Julian. Yeah, don't forget that. And uh, if you go back and look at Peter Mayhew, he looks just so thrilled to be having a picture taken with uh, this guy holding up a major spoiler sign. Uh, so, Julian, is that, that will Mayhew? be. I thought that was Alan Moore. <laughs> Julian, this will be in the mail to you, and I will also be sending to Hermit, unless he tells me otherwise, if he does not have this. Hermit, you are going to get the Starman Omnibus, Volume 1, just because you entered. And Eric, over at Cardboard Monocle, I will be sending you a uh, DC Direct action figure of the Martian Manhunter. Make sure you send me your address on that. And Arabella, I... I've got something. I will find something from the Major Spoilers prize mound to send you as well for entering. And hopefully that is a uh, a prompt, a hint for all of you other people to enter these contests as well. We've got a lot more. In fact, probably by the end of the week, the Major Spoilers second annual Halloween costume contest will be up on the site. And hopefully we will get oodles and oodles of people to uh, enter that contest like we did last year. Oodles. Oodles. Closing thoughts, gentlemen. Oodles is a funny word. Uh-huh. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to tell everyone about the show. Don't forget to tell everyone about the website. Make sure you're visiting the website. I know there may be some people out there who are listening to this podcast who've never been to Major Spoilers. Just head over there, Majorspoilers.com. You'll find all sorts of reviews and news and uh, other great things by everyone here. And I got to say, I really appreciate everyone who takes the time to enter the contest, everyone who takes time to download this show, everyone who visits the website, everybody who just hits us up on MySpace. We do have a MySpace page, myspace.com slash major spoilers. Everyone who's friended us over there. It's just really nice to see all the great comments and to have a great community that we have over at Major Spoilers. I know it's small. I know it's not Newsarama size and it's not CBR size. Uh, But everybody who participates, it's really fun. 
Uh, if you haven't checked out the forums, there's a lot of great stuff happening over at the forums. Stevie Cool has got some some funny stuff going on over there, and and even Hermit is writing some reviews over on the forums. Uh, just guys, thank you so much for being a part of Major Spoilers and everything that we do. Uh, thanks for the great reviews that you've been leaving over at iTunes and Podcast Alley. And if you guys have any questions, comments, topics, ideas, hates. There's not much hate over at Major Spoilers for whatever reason. Uh, If you would like to become a sponsor of the show, all you have to do is drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Now, next week, ooh, a real treat, I think. I I don't know if Rodrigo has read this yet or if he's ever read it before, but we will be looking at the first omnibus collection of Invincible, the first three trades of Invincible uh, the great superhero title from Image Comics, because, hey, we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will, I guess, hear you next time. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face. Marvel Apes version of Mephisto looks like Hellboy. Nah. <laughs>